What would it take to arouse your life, to experience more connection, more pleasure, more realness in and outside of the bedroom? I'm August McLaughlin, and this is Girl Boner Radio. Dr. Batsheva Marcus told me that she learned basically nothing about sex early on, but she was always really interested in the topic. She told me a funny story about one of the few times sex actually came up in her family. So my father was this biochemist who always was trying to explain science. So my younger brother, so he was about five years younger than me, so maybe I was 15 and he was 10, said something about a sperm and an egg, because that my father was very clear about, like we understood, you know, chromosomes, those things were important. So one day, she and her dad and her brother were walking across the street on their way to a swimming club. And my 10-year-old brother says, yeah, but I don't understand. How does egg and the sperm get together? But Sheva said she can still see her father's face when he heard that. How do the sperm and egg get together? He was like a deer in headlights. And he said, oh, well, you could kind of figure it out. Think like two test tubes. How would you get one product into another product? That is literally what my father said. I'm standing there going, I cannot believe what I'm hearing. That night, I kind of went to my brother's room. I said, listen, let me tell you how the sperm gets into the egg. That is like a classic of my parents. I knew nothing. I had to look everything up in books, which I did. There wasn't even internet when I was growing up because I'm such a freaking old lady. Dr. Marcus also grew up in a pretty traditional Jewish Orthodox family. Sex education in general sucks. Like, we just do a terrible job in the United States. But in the religious communities, it's even worse because it comes with all this crazy mythology. When I interviewed Dr. Marcus for my Girl Boner book, she shared some of the myths that are prevalent in Orthodox Jewish communities. There's a huge fixation, she said, on avoiding spilling the seed or sperm only ever from a penis into a vagina, like it can't go anywhere else. So many Orthodox couples think the only sex they can ever have is intercourse. There's also a big lack of focus or even acknowledgement of female pleasure. Limiting messages like these are probably why she had some interesting beliefs about sex and procreation as a kid. More recently, she told me another story about something that happened when she was in the fifth grade. I was in Bible class because we went to a religious school and a big chunk of our day was like Bible and prophets and all that stuff. And we're reading an original text. And it had something to do with someone getting pregnant. She told me that Bibles could make pretty great sex education material since they have so much sex in them. But of course, those parts were skipped in school. Anyway, the teacher says, so you know, you guys all know how people get pregnant and she just keeps going. And I raised my hand and I said, yeah, which this is what my dad told me. You pray to God, right? You pray to God and you get pregnant. Okay, there's a part of me that thinks that that's a little bit true. There is an X factor that is not always so explainable, but having said that, that's not how you get pregnant. So there's little Batsheva sitting in class offering what she really thought was how babies are made when the girl behind her starts laughing her head off. Myra Brodsky, I still remember her name. And I was like so embarrassed. And then at recess, Myra Brodsky set me straight. And that is how she learned how babies are really made. From there, she continued to talk to friends and read all the books she could to learn factual information about sex. 
years later, the Myra Brodsky story sort of picked up again in her own family. I was at the dinner table one night. I was telling this story to some friends. And my daughter, who was 12 at the time, looks up and goes, oh, my God. She said, I think I was just somebody else's Myra Brodsky. Somebody else had said something to them that was just absurd. And she was like, no, 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 no. This is how you have a baby. And no, she didn't suggest prayers. In true Myra Brodsky form, she shared the scientific truth because her mother, Dr. Marcus, broke that cycle of silence around sex and the body with her kids. Dr. Marcus is now a veteran sex therapist who has treated women of all ages. She's the founder and director of Mays Women's Sexual Health Center, holds a PhD in human sexuality, and she has been nicknamed the Queen of Vibrators and the Orthodox Sex Guru. Throughout her work, she has bumped up against this myth almost daily, that all great sex comes naturally and effortlessly, and by extension, that when it doesn't, something is wrong with you, to which she says, give me a break. Her new book, Sex Points, Reclaim Your Sex Life and the Revolutionary Multipoint System, aims to help women analyze and improve the complex variables at work in their sex lives. With advice rooted in science and practicality, and none of the just wear lingerie or have a glass of wine type advice so many of us hear. While the book is geared towards cisgender women, she believes it can benefit most anyone struggling with sexual conundrums, whether you're male or female or non-binary, and whether you're in a monogamous or non-monogamous relationship or single. One of her core beliefs is that no matter who you are and where you are in life, better sex is always possible. In your new book, you talk about the physical and the emotional and how complicated that blend is for great sex. And you're also so encouraging of good sex being possible for everyone. Why do we need to understand that complicated blend in order to have a good sex life? The same way we've had crappy sex education, we're living in this myth that our sex life is all based on what people call psychology our relationship and how we feel about ourselves and our body and shame and, you know, how we feel about our partners. And all that stuff is super, super important, but I think it misses an entire element. We're also very much a product of our physiology, right? Of our hormone levels, medications, birth control pills, other kinds of medications we may be getting on, anti-anxiety medications. How much sleep we're getting, how we're eating. All of those things, she said, have a huge impact on our sexual function and our interest in sex. One thing we very often miss, at least during adulthood, is the impact of hormones. It's so interesting. I feel like pre-COVID, when we could go to the movies, if you saw two 17-year-olds sort of standing in a movie line and they couldn't keep their hands off each other, your first reaction would not be, oh my God, they must have had this really deep, meaningful conversation. He must have sent her really beautiful flowers. Your first reaction would be, their hormones are raging. And yet, somehow, as we get older in our 30s and our 40s and our 50s, that's all discounted. And people are just always, oh, it's all about the relationship. It's all about the communication. She said that's such an outdated way of thinking. While relationships and communication are hugely important, of course, Dr. Marcus told me that focusing only there doesn't work. 
In Sex Points, she breaks down the many different factors that can impact our sexuality, including things like medications that may help or hurt, such as birth control pills. I've heard from many people who've said that birth control made their sex drive lower. And when they told their doctor, their doctor was like, oh, that's not a side effect. And they're like, well, I'm experiencing this side effect. One piece of this is women learning to trust themselves. And, you know, they're being told constantly by doctors that it's in their head. I don't blame doctors exactly. They've trained to basically, if they see something, then that's great. And they fix it. And if they don't see something or they don't understand something, they never say, I don't know. Instead, she said, they often say in some way, it must be psychological. Dr. Marcus told me she doesn't want to come across as anti-birth control pills. She knows they are incredibly helpful to many folks. But I feel like people have to be honest. They can do a huge number on your vulva and your vagina. Your vulva and your vagina are extremely hormonally mediated. Like they're very sensitive. So a lot of women start with pain and have that same story. And the doctors are like, oh, no, not that birth control pill. Yes, if that's bothering you, then you know what's going on. Depressive moods, sometimes severe ones, and reduced sex drive are also potential side effects of the pill. But like all medications, they affect people differently. Now, some people say their desire is better on the pill because they're not worried about getting pregnant and they don't have to think about those things. We have to be able to respond individually to women that way. It's really time that people understood this idea that your sex life, if it's not working just the way you want it, it's not because one thing is off. We want to look at a host of things and try to get you points in each of these areas so that you could hit a certain point threshold and have rocking sex. Those points she mentioned are a system she walks readers through in her book. She breaks things down like age, hormone levels, medications, relationships, and more to help you see which areas of your life and health are helping or hurting your sex life. And she gives you resources for increasing your points in practical ways. Dr. Marcus speaks about challenges in this realm from professional and personal experience. I told her that my heart skipped a beat when I read that at a certain point, her orgasms just stopped. She went from having really wonderful, pleasurable, orgasmic sex to being unable to experience climax at all. There were actually two times in my life when I quote-unquote lost my orgasm, and I learned so many lessons from it. The first time, she wasn't a sex therapist yet. She'd been dealing with a lot of anxiety issues, and she had started taking the SSRI medication Prozac, which was brand new on the market. I loved Prozac. Prozac made me feel like a person for the first time in my life, and then all of a sudden I couldn't have orgasms. And I went down that rabbit hole, that classic rabbit hole, oh my God, it must be my relationship. We were, you know, a young family with little kids, and there's always stress in a relationship. By accident, I asked the psychiatrist, it couldn't be related, right? And the psychiatrist was like, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The psychiatrist said that Prozac totally was related. In fact, sexual issues are one of many possible side effects of SSRIs. One study showed that 42% of cisgender women taking these medications reported struggling to have orgasms. SSRIs can also cause arousal and desire issues. That goes back to that birth control conversation that our medical providers need to be more clear about what side effects are. So that was the first time, and honestly, vibrators saved my life. There are so many benefits of vibrators. The second time she lost the ability to experience orgasm, she was in her early 50s, so six or seven years ago. 
She told me that this story is embarrassing to tell, but it's also an important one. At the time, she said she was clumsily heading into menopause. And unlike with Prozac, which stopped her orgasms suddenly, these challenges cropped up gradually. They got weaker, they got harder to have, they showed up sometimes. And I was like, what am I doing wrong? Like, I'm a sex therapist. I should know better than this. She knew to slow down and take her time to get turned on before penetration. She tried that and fantasizing more. But none of these efforts were working. And then it's only hit me that it was my testosterone level that had dropped. Starting on testosterone brought her orgasms back. That's a common issue for many folks of all sexes and genders. Low estrogen, low testosterone, or both can cause drops in desire and other changes that can make sex less fun or appealing, such as vaginal dryness and irritation and fatigue. That just goes back again to our idea that everything is going to be psychological when there's such a physiological piece. Dr. Marcus said she completely understands why so many people fear menopause and the impact that aging may have on our sex lives. But she also wants us to know that regardless of our own particulars, there is so much hope to be had. I totally get the scaredness of it because things do get very challenging at different times in people's lives. Every different stage in life, there is just other challenges, other road bumps, and that's fine. If we realize that our sex life is not going to be like smooth sailing, it progresses and changes, then you can deal with everything. This myth that, you know, you stop having decent sex after you hit 40, it's so sad and it doesn't have to be the case as long as you're willing to put some work into it. It may be that's easier to have a sex life in your 20s, but honestly, August, that's not even true. There's a lot of women with pain in their 20s. And then in 30s, sometimes women have babies. There's challenges every single stage of your sex life. But the good news is, if you go in knowing that, then almost always it's fixable. In a chapter of Sex Points about feeling less turned on or excited when years have passed in a long-term monogamous relationship, Dr. Marcus explores the idea of affairs and points out how they can really juice things up in the bedroom. She wrote, When you have an affair, you have a new person to fantasize about, and that new person likes new and different things and introduces you to new and different things suggests things that you didn't consider, encourages you to explore parts of yourself that until now you haven't explored. But of course, she adds, affairs are a breach of trust that risk your relationship. They are unethical, incredibly time-consuming, and often go from, quote, heady days of high sex drive to a crash or careen into serious depression, anger, and irreparable damage. A far better alternative, she says, is having an affair without having an affair. Basically, fantasize about having one. You could do so by reading erotica or coming up with your own spicy story or making a point of imagining yourself having sex with some hot person you're attracted to. This can be especially important for women, she said, who are less likely to allow themselves to freely fantasize. So there's a lot of pieces to this. One is that we would love to believe that women do great with monogamy. And that has not been my experience. And there is data that suggests that that is not the case, right? And I think culturally, we love the idea, oh, women are fine with monogamy. They're just great. And in my experience, the most interesting thing happens is that men 
men whine about monogamy, right? Men who are choose to be in monogamous relationships kind of whine about it, complain about it, make jokes about it, and then are actually not too unhappy having sex with the same person for long term, maybe because they're willing to fantasize or flirt or play around in their brains more. Women, on the other hand, feel so guilty about not wanting their partner, their regular partner, but really wanting the fireman that I think they just shut down. A lot of that data she mentioned was gathered by sexuality researcher Dr. Meredith Shivers. There are lots of theories on why women may be less happy with monogamy than men are, and I thought Dr. Marcus raised an important and interesting one there. I personally think that barriers that keep women from feeling connected to our own sexuality is a huge reason we might feel the need for the added bursts of brain chemicals that come from novel experiences, such as a new partner. Women still do most domestic work and emotional labor at home, for example, and we receive so many harmful messages about needing to be quote-unquote pure or sexual in particular kinds of ways, which fuel sexual shame. We are also more prone to stress, anxiety, and depression than men. So are LGBTQIA folks. There are many ways to kick those feel-good chemicals up, thankfully, whether you want to have multiple partners or not. Although, side note, let's also create a better world for us all. After interviewing Dr. Marcus, I asked my mailing list in a survey about their own relationship to fantasies. About 60% of people who responded said they fully embrace fantasies. Nearly 40% said they have struggled at times to do so. And most of those who said they have struggled said they identify as female. Back to that thing, like men don't seem to have a problem when their brain is like revolving around a million people. They just realize that's just, that's just fantasizing. But women, I cannot tell you how many women come in and they say like, they feel like they're being like unfaithful somehow. If they're thinking about, you know, I don't know, name a movie star. Who's your favorite? Oh, who's your favorite movie star? <laughs> oh my gosh! The first person who came to mind was my first crush when I was a kid was Steve Urkel, geeky guy. Totally, totally, totally. So where did we come up with this idea that Steve Urkel in your brain is going to mean you actually really want to be having sex with him? A little side note: I think I was a bit young to imagine having sex with him then. I'm sure I at least imagine going on dates with Steve. It's such a weird phenomenon, and it's such an unhelpful one to women. So if you've been less interested in sex within a long-term relationship, challenging the messages you've absorbed about fantasizing might really help. Fantasizing is not cheating. If you get that, but still struggle with shame because of messaging you've absorbed, try fantasizing about you and your partner having wild, erotic adventures with or without additional people. Honestly, I recommend those kinds of fantasies anyway. Dr. Marcus told me it's really clear to her that there are other options if novelty is what you're missing, such as opening a relationship, which works really well for some people. But many people, she said, really want to stay committed to one person, which from a desire standpoint can take some work. Thankfully, that work can be pretty fun and fulfilling once you get into it. One step she recommends is reigniting the spark by keeping a sense of mystery or a mystique in your relationship, or rather, realizing that there already is some mystery. That means really digging deep to find what it is about that person that you may not know, because we think we know our partners really, really well, and we do on some level, but some of that is just us convincing ourselves that we do because it's much more comforting to do that. 
And that some of that is really sort of looking for the elements of your partner that you don't know. And so that may be going to work with them or picking up something that a skill, doing something that they're really good at, that you're terrible at, right? And sort of being willing to like go vulnerable there and realize that there are parts of this other person that you don't know because that in the end is hot. Your erotic brain likes new and different. When there is a problem in your sex life, it can be difficult to sort it all out. I asked Dr. Marcus, when we are in that space and we want to make changes, where do we begin? That is such a complicated question. And that actually is why I wrote the book. And it starts with that quiz, because I feel like that is ultimately the biggest, most central question that I get asked. People don't actually ask her, where do I begin, though? She said they usually say some variation of, what is the problem? They want to know the problem and what to do about it stat like a light switch, she said, off and on. But that is not a helpful way to think about your sex life, she said. Instead, she takes this approach in her book. Think about your sex life as you need to hit a 100-point threshold, and then you're good to go. And those points can come from all the things she's been talking about. That's why Dr. Marcus starts her book out with the quiz she mentioned. It breaks into four quadrants, right? Desire, arousal, orgasm, and pain. And at the end of that, you see, oh, my God, I have, you know, 40 points in desire, but I have 10 points in pain. And that's where I need to begin. I need to begin with the pain. Your sex life is not a chemistry experiment, obviously, but it's such a great way to kind of get it started and kind of understand where your starting points can be. I asked Dr. Marcus to share a little bit more about this point system. And she shared an example, which I think not only illustrates how her book works, but highlights the many ways different aspects of our lives and bodies can influence everything from desire and pleasure to orgasms. So let's take Tammy, who's a 19-year-old girl who's in great health and has tons of hormones coursing through her system. And she's walking around with 90 points and she can have sex pretty much with anyone anywhere. So she could meet somebody on an airplane and have sex in the bathroom, well, pre-COVID. And she's going to have good sex, right? Now let's take Tammy a few years later and she meets this hot new guy. So it's hot, new and erotic. We know what that's like. 30 points there. She falls madly in love. That's another 30 points. So now Tammy's at 150 points and she's great. And it doesn't matter if hot new guy does something really, really, really irritating or if work has her like exhausted. She can give up those points and she's still nicely above that 100 range and she's doing fine, right? For a while, at least, she is. If you visited her six years later, Dr. Marcus said, you might find Tammy still totally loving the guy, but the relationship isn't as hot, new, or erotic anymore. Still, she would have about 120 points, still well above that 100-point threshold. That's okay until she has a child, and the child is banging at the door, and now she's down to 100 points, and it's fine until her hormone level drops. There's a little bumps in the relationship. She gets on birth control pills and that has an impact on her. Any of these things can have an impact that drop the point level below that 100 points. That's where I try to use that as the model. Can we get you above 100 points? So let's say you get there, back to above 100 points. I wanted to hear about some of the benefits Dr. Marcus sees. When you're in a relationship and you're having no sex, and some couples have decided that's the way they're going to live, and you know I am not 
trying to change anybody's life, that's fine. But I will tell you that for most couples, it feels different when you're having sex. You know, women will say to me, if I come home at the end of the day and I see my partner's socks on the floor and we haven't had sex in a while, I want to take those socks and I want to stuff them down their throat. Like, I just want to kill them. But if we've been having good sex, like I pick up the sock, I laugh and I dump it and in the hamper, right? It changes the way we experience our life with our partner. And I really, really believe with yourself. There's something so elemental about our sexuality and primitive, maybe even about our ability to connect to our sexual selves. That's why it's in all the songs. And that's why people talk about it so much. I think they get it wrong. I think they, 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 they make it this literary kind of mystical romanticized thing, as opposed to understanding that it's just, it's like the rock core at the center of who we are. When we're feeling good about our sexuality and we're feeling good about our ability to feel sexual and be sexual, it just changes everything, August. I mean, that's my experience. What do you think? I think it changes the way we move in the world fully. Our moods, the way we greet the day, the way we interact with people beyond our partner, if we have one, you know, it just, to me, I feel much more balanced and just like myself. I feel like there's something about feeling comfortable in our sexuality and, and the opposite is true too. For the women who are feeling stuck, who have just shut it all down because they don't really know what the matter is, or they don't really believe that there's help. I feel like they start separating from themselves in a way. And that feels sad to me either black and white rather than color, or just part of you that doesn't feel as alive. And so if you're listening to this and you're somebody who's thinking to yourself, oh my God, I, I really haven't thought about this in a long time because it's too painful to think about. I want to tell you that it can be helped. It really, really can be. And you just need to have a little kindness for yourself and a little patience with yourself and a little faith that you know this can be different and, and you can reaccess your sexual self. To learn more about Dr. Marcus and her work, visit drbotsheva.com and follow her on Instagram. Find Sex Points, reclaim your sex life with the revolutionary multi-point system most anywhere books are sold. And for some special bonuses for this episode, including a segment with Dr. Marcus's thoughts on quote-unquote Viagra for women, join me on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash girlboner. This week's listener question doesn't present a problem, but more like a desired new adventure involving orgasms. It came from Hannah, who wrote this. Both my partner and I have only ever orgasmed through masturbation. We enjoy that alone and together, and I would say that our sex life is pretty great. At the same time, we think it would be fun to orgasm during penis and vagina intercourse. Just wondering if you have any tips. What a great question, Hannah. Here's what Dr. Megan Fleming of GreatLifeGreatSex.com had to say. Hannah, great question. And I just love the fact that you guys are exploring on your own masturbation as well as mutual masturbation. But I'm hearing that that's the only way you've been able to orgasm. So I'm a bit curious about which is your technique and whether or not either of you have sort of varied it, or if you're like most people, they're sort of one tried and true. Again, men typically have an orgasm with every penetrative experience. And so when they don't, it would make me wonder whether or not he has something we as sex therapists refer to as an idiosyncratic masturbation style. 
And what do I mean by that? Basically, I mean that the stimulation to reach orgasm has been conditioned to have a lot of what we sort of refer to as the three Fs. So it's friction, it's fast in terms of its speed, and the focus is on the frenulum, the tip of the most sensitive part of the penis. The rationale around all of this is that ultimately, if your partner, sometimes they sort of refer to as like a death grip, is using a really tight, firm grip or really fast, um, again, a stimulation that you would not be able to duplicate with your vagina or often probably even your hands and or mouth. If that might be the case, the first thing I'd recommend there is that your boyfriend would take a hiatus of 30 days. 30 days generally is long enough to sort of recondition the body to be more receptive and responsive to less intense stimulation. And then for yourself, I would have you, again, I'm imagining you're reaching orgasm with external clitoral stimulation, as is the case for most women. In fact, we know two-thirds of women don't orgasm with penetration alone. They need the additional clitoral stimulation. So what I want you to do on your own part of your fun, play, pleasure practice is with the role of deep vaginal stimulation. So sort of what we refer to as a blended orgasm, I want you to stimulate your clitoris as you normally would and then add using a dilator or dildo or vibrator that's specifically targeting the G-spot. And I really want you, again, to only insert anything into your vagina when you're already highly aroused. Because again, this tissue is sort of the female equivalent of erectile tissue. And so again, we really want when your body's really saying yes and using lube, then you would add and again, pairing the clitoral stimulation with deeper vaginal uh, stimulation and thinking again about the role of it's more of a slow rhythmic rocking sensation. And if you're using... um, you know, fingers thinking of it as that like that idea of that come hither, that motion, um, noting that, again, the, the location can really vary from woman to woman. It could be a few centimeters in the anterior wall of the vagina sort of facing the belly button up to like a few inches. So you really want to get a sense for yourself, where is that stimulation? Where do you find it most pleasurable? And then ultimately, over time, you're conditioning your body, you're sort of expanding that orgasmic neural pathway to reach orgasms in more than one way, and ultimately the blended between G-spot and clitoral stim. And the other thing would be to add a clitoral vibrator, like a bullet, and or considering a cock ring with a vibrator. So the great thing about that is it's a constrictive device, which helps men feel firmer, harder erections. And then For you, it's the additional clitoral stimulation of the vibrator and knowing that you're both going to get that additional stimulation. I want you to sort of explore and play, adding more sensation and stimulation, knowing again that arouses both mental and physical. So really losing yourselves in each other and the experience and letting go to what's happening in the moment and having a lot of fun. As always, would love to hear how it goes. Thanks so much, Dr. Megan. I love those suggestions. Hannah, you could also try orgasm control, aka edging. You could do this during mutual masturbation with your partner and then switch. Basically, you would start out by pleasuring yourselves together. Then when you get close to orgasm, stop and take a short break and then work your way back up again and then stop and then take a short break. That'll get your internal clitoris very aroused. 
So again, the part that we stimulate on the outside that's extremely sensitive is much smaller in size compared to the rest of the clitoris. It's like a wishbone inside. And things like making out and anything that turns us on really and gets arousal and blood flow going really, really turns on the internal clit. So that'll make orgasm come more easily for you, pun embraced, and it'll make for more penis arousal and pleasure too. So once you're good and ready, you could switch to penetrative sex and just see how it goes. There's also this great position you could try. In my Girl Boner book, I call it Clitoris Maximus, but the technical name is Coital Alignment Technique. It's a version of quote-unquote missionary or woman on top, where you place your pelvises together in such a way that allows for clit stim on the outside during penetration. And having your partner wear a cock ring at the same time definitely would make that awesome for you both too. To check out some amazing cock rings and couples sex toys that can add all sorts of fun stimulation, head to thepleasurechest.com. They have one called the Romp Juke Vibrating Cock Ring that can make erections harder and add clit stim at the same time. Click on Couples Toys on the site to find great options from WeVibe and more. And while you're there, don't forget to grab some lube. Lube too can make arousal stronger and orgasms more likely for everyone. If you're enjoying Girl Boner Radio, please tell your friends about it. I would also so appreciate a rating and review. Thank you so much for listening and have a beautiful Girl Boner Embracing Week.